If you have your Bible, and as I always say, I pray that you do, this is the best place to bring your Bible, amen? Uh, I will not judge you. I'm going to be real honest. I'm not going to judge you if you bring your Bible. I won't judge you. I won't say bad things about you. I'll encourage you. I might even get excited. Bring, bring your Bible to the Lord's house. If you have it, turn with me to Psalm 15. And as you're turning, I want to begin by thanking you again for your continued love and your prayers during this season of sickness that the Lord has just brought me through. I can tell you uh, it has been a little bit of a journey and uh, I'm thankful for all the care that I received, uh, multiple surgeries that I had and uh, the doctors and the caregivers. But I can tell you this, I'm most thankful for the greatest caregiver, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But you know what? I got a pretty good one too right down here in my wife. What a wonderful caregiver. And... Uh, she looked out for me. She banished me to the other side of the house at first. I thought, man, that doesn't feel very good. But anyway, uh, she took care of me in my time of need, and I love her so much. You may recall that we began 2022, that sounds odd to say, with this message series entitled Carpe Diem. And last week, I actually used the same title as we were talking here on Super Sunday about seizing the opportunity to run the way that God would have us to run. And, and uh, in essence, when we think about carpe diem, it is that it comes that Latin phrase to seize the day. In essence, whether we've ever biblically taken time to consider it or not, carpe diem reminds you and I that we can take full advantage of the opportunities that we're given today. Amen. And we can take full advantage of the opportunities that God will give us each and every day of our life. So whether we're talking about gifts or things that the Lord has given to us, that gifts that are spiritual, temporary, they may be ordinary or even extraordinary, you and I have a wonderful opportunity each and every day to seize the opportunity as ambassadors for Christ. Do you know that if you have Jesus in your heart, you are an ambassador, amen? Congratulations. You say, I don't want to be an ambassador. It doesn't matter. You are an ambassador for Christ. And it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity that we have to be ambassadors and to share the love and the truth. And, and a lot of, you know, a lot of old school guys will say, that guy talks about love. Well, guess what? When they beheld Jesus, John said, when they beheld him as of the only begotten of the Father, they beheld him in John 1.14. And he said that he was full of what? Grace and truth. See, if we go out of this place and we're nothing but uh, uh, ambassadors of truth and we have no love, then we can very quickly become bullies. I'll be real honest with you. Have you ever met a bully? Some of you might have dated a bully. If we go out of here, guys, and all we're talking about is truth, 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 and we never have love, we never show people that we are right where they are, we're just sinners who have been saved by grace, and then guess what? They're going to push you up the hand. They're not going to want to know what you know, and so we have to be like Jesus, and Jesus was full of grace and truth, so you'll just forgive me. I'm just going to keep on loving people the way Jesus loved them. Amen? All right, we'll get along sometime. We began week number one, and if you remember back with me, I mean, it seems like eons ago, but we began week number one in 2022 by considering, from David's perspective in Psalm 40, the need and the opportunity that we have to share the gospel. We ought to be telling people about Jesus. 
We ought to be telling people about Jesus. Because I got news for you. He's the way. He's the truth. And he's the life. And he said, no man comes unto the Father but by him. And so we got to share the gospel. And, and since, by the way, since Romans chapter 13 and verse number 11 says that our salvation is nearer than when we first believed, then I just think we ought to wake up. In fact, that verse actually says, I think they got it up on the screen, it says that it's high time to wake out of our sleep. It's time to wake up. Hello? It's time to get up and tell somebody about Jesus. And so we talked about sharing the gospel. In week number two, we uncovered David's secret recipe. Man, I'll tell you what, I love finding secret recipes. My grandma Corcoran had a recipe for Hungarian cookies that I'm still looking for. Man, a secret recipe is a great thing. And in week number two, we, did, we uncovered David's secret recipe in Psalm 63 for living and loving God supremely. Man, doesn't that sound good? I just want to live and I want to love God supremely. That's a wonderful thing. And when we looked at that psalm, even though David's heart must have been breaking because of his son Absalom's actions, what we learned from Psalm 63 was that the only thing that was truly important to David was God. To David, the Lord was his security. The Lord was his supply, his hope, and his help. And he's that and everything else that we could ever want, everything that we could ever desire for you and I as well. And so this morning, I want to continue this idea of carpe diem in Psalm 15 by really understanding what, what separated David from everyone else, what, what set him apart from others. And so look with me in Psalm 15 as we quickly dissect some truths from this very short psalm. In verse number 1, read with me along. The Bible says, Lord, David says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly, worketh righteousness, and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned. But he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never. says, he that doeth these things shall never, never be moved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father. We thank you. We love you. We thank you for the songs that we have sung. For understanding that the battle belongs to you. We're here at Battlefield Baptist Church. And we know that we can do nothing without you. We know that the battle belongs to you. Lord, we understand that you are the very foundation of our lives. And Lord, if there was ever a time in our lives that we love you, it is truly now. In the midst of a crazy, crazy season of life. Lord, I pray that each of us would fall more in love with you and more in love with your word and more in love with one another. Lord, today, God, I pray that you would be honored, that you would be exalted and glorified as your word goes forth, God. I pray that I'll step backward, that you'll step forward and work in and through me, that you'll communicate the very words that you want us to hear this morning. Lord, that you will prick our hearts that you will challenge us, Lord. Not that we would just be blessed, but God, we need to be challenged. 
And so, Lord, I pray that as we consider your word today, that you'll do that. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in this room or somebody watching online this message this morning and, and they've heard a lot about you, but they really don't know you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. I pray that the Holy Spirit would open up their eyes of their understanding and that they would realize their need of a Savior. Lord, I pray for the, the one who says that they've already trusted you, but maybe they're not walking with you. Maybe they're not desiring the things that you desire. Lord, I pray that you'll prick their heart and draw them close to thee today, that they might reconnect, as it were, that they might recommit themselves, as it were, to you and your love and your ways. God, I pray that you will do all these things, and God, we'll be careful to give you the praise. We'll be careful to give you the honor and the glory for all of this. In Jesus' precious name and for his sake, we pray amen and amen. Well, again, it's good to be in the Lord's house. And uh, as we get started, you look at this psalm in Psalm 15. We know from Scripture that David had what? He had a heart for God. He had a heart for God. In fact, if you go back into the Old Testament... <clears throat> Excuse me, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, we find the prophet Samuel, he's talking with King Saul, and, and he tells Saul, he says, listen, God would have allowed your kingdom to go on through all eternity in perpetuity had you obeyed God. But since you have chosen to disregard God, since you've chosen Saul to disobey the commands of God, by the way, when God says it, that settles it. It doesn't matter whether I like it or not. You know, there are a lot of things that I've read in God's Word that I don't like the first time I read it. I'll be honest, I'm not sure I like them the second time I read them. But Samuel told Saul, he said, listen, because you've disregarded and because you've disobeyed God's command, your kingdom's going to come to an end. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse number 14, notice what he says to King Saul. He says, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. Why? He said, because the Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And we know that Saul's replacement was none other than David. You see, the problem with King Saul was like my grandpa Corcoran used to say. I remember years ago, I spent a lot of time out in Illinois with my grandparents. And I remember one summer, I got a, I got a little, like what my grandpa would say, a little too big for my britches. You ever gotten too big for your britches? I'm not talking about in your waist size, okay? I got a little too big in my britches, and uh, I think that's what was going on with King Saul. King Saul, we know he was head and shoulders above the rest, but he got a little too big for his britches, and God said, I want you to utterly destroy the Amalekites. And King Saul said, well, we've got our own plan. And Samuel went and told Saul that his kingdom was going to come to an end. You see, God said, enough is enough. In fact, Jesus Christ gave us all a timeless truth in Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 12 by saying these words. He says, whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Now that word abased means to be brought low or humbled, and that word exalted means to elevate or lift yourself up. And so what the Bible is saying here is that when you and I exalt ourselves have you ever exalted yourself let's just be honest here we're all we're all covered with flesh anybody ever exalted yourself yeah i got news for you you know what that verse says when we exalt ourselves, you can expect god to bring you low you know you know what 
Pride, the, the, the Bible talks about pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But that still doesn't stop us many times. It didn't stop Saul either. But see, when we exalt ourselves, we can expect God to bring us low. But here's the beautiful picture of Scripture. When we humble ourselves, we have a promise from Scripture that God will exalt us. Now that exaltation may be in due season. It may not be here. A lot of people read that verse. They say, oh man, I'm just going to humble myself. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to humble myself. And you got to be careful of that because the moment you think you're humble, you're not. Oh, look, I've, I've acquired this great gift of humility. The fact that you just said that, sir or ma'am, means you have not figured out what humility is all about. The Bible says that when we humble ourselves, at some point in time, we will be lifted up. What was the difference between David and Saul? The difference between David and Saul was humility. The difference between David and Saul was godliness. David was a man after God's own heart. In fact, in Acts chapter 13, we find the Apostle Paul speaking to those that, the, that would become the church of Antioch. And he's telling them how God had selected and raised up David to be king after Saul. And here's what he said. He said, because God, he said that David was a man after his own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. You know, that's what God's looking for today. He's looking for men and women who are going to complete, who are going to fulfill his will, not our own will. I have my own will sometimes. Last Sunday, we were all dressed up. We were all geared up for Super Sunday. And I was talking about my will for snacks. I was telling you I wanted my wife to make this dip, that dip, and the other dip. I'm just getting over surgery. I had no appetite for all those dips. But in my mind, I thought, man, it's Super Sunday. I ought to have all these dips. I got news for you. I did not have all of those dips. Someone has said that when God measures a man, watch this. Someone has said when God measures a man, he puts the tape around his heart, not his head. That's good. He puts the tape around his heart, not his head. And that's what he did with David. And I believe that's exactly what he does with you and you and you and you. And guess what? He does it with me as well. He puts that measuring tape around my heart. And David wasn't just big hearted. The Bible tells me that David was God hearted. Amen. We need to be God-hearted. The question is, how well are we measuring up? If God were to take a measuring tape, one of them, them flimsy ones, what do you call that? One of them seamstress measuring tapes, and he wrapped it around your heart, how would we measure up? Hmm. Would, he plead, would he be pleased with what he found? Honestly, like David the reality is that if you and I are going to have a heart for God, the reality is that it's going to be much more than just believing. You say, well, pastor, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that he was buried in a borrowed tomb. I believe that he rose again three days. Man, I'm feeling good today. I'll just tell you that right now. I might preach for two or three hours. And about 12 of you just got up and left. Hold on a second. Isn't it crazy that we can watch a movie for two hours, but we don't have a stomach for the Word of God for two hours? Now, I'm not going to preach for two hours, maybe an hour and 45 minutes. I'll keep the movie short. We got stomach for a three-hour football game. Uh-oh. Sorry. That's not even in my notes. We're ready to go to the buffet. Can I tell you? 
here's a buffet that we need to be coming to. That's a, that's a buffet that never, ever ends. It's going to go on forever and ever. You see, if we're going to have a heart for God, what I was getting at is it, it's going to be more than just believing God in his word. If we're going to have a heart for God, if we're going to pursue godliness, as it were, then the reality is beyond belief, you and I are going to have to learn to behave. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, my parents had a way of getting me to behave. My dad had a weapon of mass instruction. Your dad beat you? No, he had a weapon of mass instruction. Why? Because he loved me. You know whom the Lord loveth? He chasteneth. Sometimes the Lord has to get our attention. That's right. Sometimes he's got he's to give us a little wake-up call. That's what he did with Saul. He said, guess what? You think you're in charge? You're not in charge, by the way, King Saul. I'm the one that put you there. I'm the one that can take you down. And he said, guess what? I'm going to find somebody who actually has a heart for me rather than themselves. Pursuing godliness is big business when it comes to God. You see, his desire, somebody said, well, what's godliness all about? Let me boil it down for you. Godliness is when you and I get to the point where his desire becomes our desire. You see, when I stop focusing on what I want and I start focusing on what he wants, that's called godliness. The question is, are we pursuing it? Look in Psalm 15, if you're a note taker, the first thing we see is we see David's desire for godliness. We see his desire for godliness. Look at verse number one. He begins with a question, and quite honestly, you and I ought to be asking this question each and every day of our lives. He says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle, and who shall dwell in thy holy hill? And although this psalm is not dated, most theological thinkers, by the way, be careful of being a theological thinker. But most theological thinkers that this would have been written about the time that the Ark of the Covenant finally, after a, after a couple tries, makes its way back to Jerusalem. And if you remember at that time, David builds a, a temporary tent, so to speak, for the Ark to be placed in. We know that he wanted to build the t uh, a permanent tabernacle and God said, uh-uh, uh-uh, that's not your job, your son's going to do that. You do what I ask you to do and... Your son will do what he's called to do. And so we know that it was a time of great spiritual significance and celebration because even though it was a temporary tent, it was still the place where the presence of God dwelt. And so the people got excited. But David's asking a question. Look back at verse 1. He says, Lord, first, who's going to abide in your tabernacle? Now, you have to study Scripture to know what's being said. The word abide here, notice a couple of things. It's rendered here as the word abide, but the Hebrew word here, rendered abide, literally means to turn aside from the road. In other words, to stop over as a stranger on a journey. Does that sound familiar? We're just strangers and pilgrims on a journey. By the way, the journey sometimes is tough, isn't it? Sometimes we don't understand the journey. Sometimes we're not quite sure of what's going on and why it's going on. 
But this word abide means to turn aside from the road, whereas the word tabernacle literally means tent. It's just like the one that David constructed. And so here we see this picture of essentially like a pilgrim passing through. It's almost, if you please, it's almost as if God is the pilgrim passing through the very world that he created. That's what we see at the beginning. But look at the last part of the verse. David says, who shall dwell in thy holy hill? The word dwell here is actually the Hebrew word from where we get the word Shekinah. As in the Shekinah glory of God. It's speaking of the divine presence of God and it speaks of permanence. What could be more permanent than God's holy hill or mountain? Some of you may have a translation that you're reading that says mountain. I don't know about you, but I don't see mountains being removed. Except for when we walk by faith and we pray and ask God to remove mountains. He's the one that moves mountains. Why? Because he's the one that is in charge and able to move them. So we have two pictures being presented. One of pilgrims always on the move. The other is a picture of permanence that never moves. And they paint a portrait of you and I. It paint, they paint a portrait of our lives. First is unsettled pilgrims and strangers passing through. And secondly, as believers headed to a place of permanence, praise the Lord. One day, I'm going to be with Jesus. One day. Listen, he said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Woo, I'm going to go and be with Jesus forever and ever. And guess what? My soteriology professor told me, and I take it to the bank. He said, gentlemen, I got some good news for you. You're headed for heaven and you can't help it. I'm headed for heaven. Can I tell you something? I'm not worthy to head to heaven. I try to be nice. I try to love people. I try to even love miserable people. But you know, misery loves company. And I will not be miserable with miserable people. I don't deserve heaven. But because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. My ticket's been punched. I'm about ready to board that train. In reality, folks, what David is asking, look back at verse 1. He's asking, Lord, he's asking, Lord, what does it take? What does it take to live in your presence? Not only in eternity, but Lord, what does it take for the here and now in your tabernacle that is moving? It's like pilgrims and strangers in this world. What does it take to live in your presence? And you say, well, brother, I believe that's not living in the Lord's presence. Because you can say you believe and live like the devil. You're not living in the Lord's presence. The rest of the psalm indicates that David, he realizes, he realizes that, Lord, I get it. If we're going to live in your presence, then we're going to have to change our desire. We're going to have to change our, our focus, if you please. You're going to have to be most important. I'm going to have to decrease, as John said, so that you can increase. By the way, David's desire for godliness was consistent. Because if you go back to week number one of our Carpe Diem, Diem series, in, we looked at Psalm 40. And in Psalm 40, verse number one, here's what David says. He says, O God, thou art my God. 
Early will I seek thee. He said, my soul thirsts for thee. My flesh longs for thee in a dry and a thirsty land where no water is. Folks, it's not enough just to believe God. We got to live in the presence of Jehovah. Then we're going to have to get up and desire to do what he says instead of what we say. We must pursue God like those who are thirsty, like those who long for him in a dry land. I don't know about you, but America feels real dry these days. We got people preaching all kind of craziness. We got people running this government that, no, by the way, I'm not talking about the president. I'm talking about people that have no business being in certain positions. People that are being appointed for different jobs and stuff that have no business leading people. That therein, it's not a political message. By the way, pray for our president. I say pray for our president just like I said pray for the last president and I'll say pray for the next president. The one thing that will change is who is the president of this country. But we have a job, an obligation to pray for them. It was Warren Wearsby, pastor, author, and Bible commentator who said these words. He said, godliness is not skin deep. Listen to what he says. He says, it's not skin deep. It is something below the surface of a person's life. It's deep down in the realm of an attitude, an attitude towards God himself. A person who is godly is one whose heart is sensitive towards God, one who takes God seriously. It's an attitude of willing submission to God's will and ways. And whatever he says goes. And whatever it takes to carry out Carry it out is the very thing that a godly person desires to do. So the question becomes, do we have a desire and are we sensitive to do what we know is right biblically or do we turn a deaf ear to the very words of God? See, because every day I have a choice and every day you have a choice. Spain had a great lesson this morning and he was talking about the dangers of sin and the entrapment of sin. And one of the things really spoke to me, all of it spoke to me. Spain, you did a great job in Sunday school hour. But one of the things that spoke to me was he was talking about, you know, the devil. He's talking about the world. Then he was talking about selfish desires. But along the way, he stopped and he was talking about sometimes when we are tempted, when things are not going the way that we want them to go, we are tempted to sin. Can I tell you, that devil loves us when we are weak. The devil loves us when we are sick. That devil told me so many things while I was battling COVID. And then when I had my surgery, another surgery, another procedure, the devil's telling me, throw in the towel. Throw in the towel. I know you like to play golf. Go play golf. It's 20 degrees, devil. You're a liar. I'm not playing golf. <laughs> See, I had an answer for him. Go, go to Florida. No, no, I'm not living in Florida. Go here, go there. Be careful listening to the devil. Remember I said last week he'll pay the transportation for you to head on down to Tarshish. Are we sensitive to do what we know God's word is telling us to do? I can assure you that David understood fully and completely that there's no way to enter and to enjoy the presence of the living God 
if he wasn't pursuing him, if he wasn't pursuing godliness, if his desire was not to become more like God. It was Charles Spurgeon, yes, Charles Spurgeon, who said, without the wedding dress of righteousness in Jesus Christ, we have no right to sit at the banquet of communion. Without the uprightness of walk, we are not fit. Watch this. We are not fit for the imperfect church on earth, and certainly we must not hope to enter the perfect church above. It's important what we're talking about today. Do we have that same desire for godliness that David had? I pray that we do. Secondly, this is what David begins to talk about in verses 2 and following. He starts to talk about the display of godliness. If someone says they have a genuine desire for growing in godliness, watch this. If they have a genuine desire, then I got news for you. What's on the inside is going to bubble over and come out at some point. If somebody's always telling me, hey, pastor, man, I just want to serve the Lord with gladness. I want to serve the Lord with gladness. And every time I ask them to serve the Lord with gladness, I, I just can't do that. I just can't do that. Uh, I, I, I want to play bass. Or uh, like Mark's looking at me. That's why I said that. I want to play bass. Well, Mark plays bass. Well, yeah, come up here and play bass with Mark. Well, he, he's much better at it. I probably wouldn't look very good doing it. Well, um, pastor, uh, what, what else can I do? And then I give an opportunity for somebody to serve, and they say, I just don't feel called to do that. <laughs> do you know I have no problem running a vacuum cleaner? I have no problem cleaning toilets. I have no problem. Now, this is going this is, this is to be where the rubber meets the road. Watch this. I have no problem changing a baby's diaper. I've done it. It's not pleasant. Did anybody ever say changing diapers was pleasant? But you know, if it allowed moms and dads and other people to worship the Lord together, I wouldn't have a problem changing a baby's diaper. By the way, children are precious unto the Lord. If we're going to invest in something, we ought to be investing in children who need to know the Lord now. Because at the point, when they get to a certain point, all bets are off. All bets are off. You don't reach kids while they're young. Hello, Awana workers, you're important. Sunday school workers, you're important. Middle school, high school workers, you're important because if you don't reach them now, good luck because this world's trying to infuse them with a bunch of junk. And so we need to have a desire. But if you say you have a desire for godliness and it doesn't bubble over, if it doesn't ex come out outside of you at some point or produce some sort of spiritual fruit, then there's a problem. Look at verse number 2. Because see, in verse number 1, again, remember David asked, who can abide in the tabernacle and who's going to dwell in the holy hill? And then notice he starts to answer who can do all these things. And he starts in verse number 2. Notice he declares that the person who walks upright, the person who works righteousness, the person who speaks truth. And if you look at verse 2 and you look at that phrase, walketh uprightly, the King James phrase, walketh. He that walketh uprightly. Literally, folks, all that is is speaking of someone who is blameless in their character. In other words, no spot, no wrinkle or blemish that would cause others to question the sincerity of their character. Now look at the word uprightly. It comes from the Hebrew word that is used to describe a spot, watch it, a spotless lamb that would be sacrificed at the temple at that time in the Old Testament. Now, notice I did not say sinless. I said blameless. 
There's nobody in this room, nobody watching online, I'm sorry to burst anybody's bubble, that is sinless. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Popular uh, verse, I know, right? We hate that verse. Like, oh, I don't like that verse. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's just reality, folks. As Romans 5, 12 says, For as one man, by one man sin entered into the world and death upon men, so has sin and death passed upon all. Right? So the reality is that we are all sinners, but we have a wonderful opportunity to be saved by grace. And the beautiful picture of verse number two to grasp is the person who abides in God's tabernacle, the person who dwells in his holy hill, are going to be those who have been counted as blameless. Not sinless, but blameless. And the reality is David was counted as blameless. You say, well, hold on, brother. David had a problem with sin. Yes, he did. He had a problem with pride. David had a problem with lust. He had a problem with adultery. David had a problem with murder. I mean, we can go on and on. He had all kinds of problems. But the difference in David's life is that when he sinned, the key to being reconsidered as being blameless was he was quick to repent and confess. He was quick to get back. Say, well, he was a little slow on the trigger after Bathsheba. Isn't that what we do? We like to point fingers at other people. All I know is my Bible says David had a heart for God. Oh, well, David had sin in his life, Pastor. So don't be putting David up as some kind of hero or example in my life. You know why we do that? Because we don't like what the mirror is saying. That's why we do that. We look in the mirror and we see how we're living. And immediately we start thinking of people who are worse than we are. Or should I say, people who we think are worse than we are. Hello? Oh, we're real good at judging. Except for when it comes to judging ourselves. When David became soiled with sin, think about this. When he became soiled with sin, he cried out to God. And I have evidence of that in Psalm 51. Man, what a great, his penitent prayer. You can look at Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, in verses 1 and 2, notice what he says. He calls out to God. He says, have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Look at verse 2. He says, wash me throughly. That word throughly means completely from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Later, he begs the Lord in verse number 7 in the same psalm. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And then the ultimate prayer in verse number 10. Everybody loves this one. He says, create me a clean heart O God and renew a right spirit within me you know what David understood David understood that when sin came when he was dealing with sin that what he really needed was open heart spiritual surgery he said God I need you to rip this this wretched heart out of me I need you to replace it I need you to replace it because I want to be a man after your own heart And Lord, I've sinned against you. And Lord, the only one that can take care of the sin, the only one that can restore a right spirit within me, the only one that can do a work in my life is you. And so Lord, create in me a clean heart. Rip it out if you have to. Cut it out and put a new heart in its place. Maybe that's what we need to pray today. 
Look back in verse 2 of our text. We're also told that the walk of a godly person will be displayed in their works. See, it's going to bubble over. And so if our talk is, is going to be matched by our walk and works, I just believe that. If, if you say something, then mean it. By the way, I'm big on that. I'm, a, I'm big on integrity, and I'm big on, you know, which is telling the truth, right? If you say you're going to do something for God, do it. Do it. Don't say something and then back out and say, well, I just can't do it. I don't have the strength. You're right. You don't have the strength and neither do I. But with God, all things are possible. He's the one that gives us the strength. Oh, it's been said that the true Christian seeks to be free from evil habits, evil acts, and evil words. In verse number 3, notice the Bible proclaims, in, in our text, it proclaims that a person who's abiding and dwelling in God is going to be someone that doesn't slander. Uh-oh, here we go, watch it. Watch that verse. It's going to be someone who doesn't slander, speak evil, or circulate unfavorable reports of people. It's going to be someone who doesn't go around bringing other people down or bringing harm to them. It's going to be someone who doesn't get caught up in propagating or embracing evil tales about people. Man, let me tell you something. If somebody comes to you and tells you, man, have you heard the latest about... You know what you need to do? You need to say, get behind me, Satan. Not that that person's Satan, but guess what? Sometimes Satan uses our friends to get us off track. They don't even know they're part of Satan's plan. They just think they're doing God a favor by letting you know that Chuck did this or Yvonne did this or Chris or Tracy did that. And that's none of their business. What they need to do is be on their knees praying for their brothers and sisters. What they need to do is if they hear something, to lovingly go to their brother and sister and say, man, this is, this is, this is what Krista said. And if Krista said it, you know it must be true. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? That devil's slick, by the way. We got to pursue godliness each and every day of our lives. From verse number 3, we can determine that the tongue, which, by the way, Scripture says is an unruly evil. It talks about our tongue being an unruly evil and full of deadly poison. It, it, we, we have to determine that the tongue is going to have to be something that is regulated by the word and the will and the ways of God. If you, let me just say this lovingly. I served almost 22 years in the military. I spent a lot of time in the Marine Corps, and I spent a lot of time in the Army. There is not a curse word that I have not heard. Stay with me. I've met people to say, I just can't control my tongue. You are right. You cannot control your tongue. But if you give your tongue over to the Spirit of the living God, you'll stop cursing the way that you used to curse. I can't control my desire for this or for that or for that. You are right. When we walk in the flesh, we are not going to fulfill what the Spirit desires. We have to walk in the Spirit. It's really that simple. I think about Jesus when he was talking to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12. He said, oh, generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. And he goes on, he says, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. It's true. It's true. That's why I tell people, put a little something good in every day. 
Pastor, you don't know it. I, 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 I'm a slow reader. Let me just say something. This ain't a competition or one-upsman. I'm about the slowest reader that you could find. Slow reading comprehension growing up. I had problems with reading all the way through school. I had problems when I got to college and they told me I was going to have to go back after 20 some years, I was going to have to go back into the English department. I was like, are you kidding me? I came here for Bible college. Yeah, that's right. You need to understand English. Grammar. And then they told me I had to go into uh, uh, English research and stuff. Praise the Lord, I clepped out of that class. Man, I studied like there was no tomorrow. I was like, man, I cannot stand another semester in another English class. Let me get out of that. So I clapped out, and you know what they said? Hey, congratulations, you can now move into British literature. I said, oh, 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 Lord, help me. And he did. You know, David prayed in Psalm 19, 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in my sight, O God, because you are my strength. And you are my redeemer. If we're going to pursue godliness, then we need to get serious about it. Our desire must then become displayed for others to see. And we don't display it so that we can walk around and say, look at me. I'm so godly. Guess what? you got a different problem at that point. And you can expect to be brought low, just like King Saul did, if that's your desire. Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The way that you speak right, the way that you act right is by hiding the word of God in your heart. And that's why I tell people, just put a little in each day. Because guess what? If you keep putting it in, if you keep putting it in, and if you keep putting it in, then hopefully it'll make its way from here to here. And then the Bible says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So guess what? What's going to happen? You keep putting it in, keep putting it in, keep putting it in. It's going to bubble over. And then all of a sudden your wife's going to say, who are you? What have you done with my husband? And your husband's going to say, where's my wife who's hollering and complaining all the time? What have you done with her? Well... Jesus is coming out now. Oh, the desire for godliness will be evidenced through the display of God. Now, let's look at verse number four. It teaches us that a person who abides and dwells in the Lord's is going to regulate their actions apace God's word. That's the shorthand verse. And then in the last part of verse four and five, the Bible talks about the fact that a person who is pursuing godliness is going to be, here it is, honest in all of their dealings, not just in business, as that's it's talking about, honest in their business dealings, but honest in all their dealings. Can you honestly, I don't know, is this a, is this a, a thing, if I say, are you honestly honest? Can you honestly say that you are honest in your business dealings and in your life dealings, or is there a little shadiness to you? Because I got news, if there's a little shadiness to you, then I don't guess you're living in the presence of the living God because there is no shadiness with Him. Because the Bible says all good gifts and all perfect gifts come down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. There ain't no shade in Jesus Christ. And then the last thing that I want us to see, David, we see it point out in this scripture, points to the duration 
of godliness. You see, at the beginning of the psalm, David wanted to know what living in the presence of Jehovah looked like now and what it looked like throughout eternity. And look at the end of verse number 15. By the end of verse 15, the Holy Spirit of God has provided David and has provided you and I with a blessing for the godly person who abides in the Lord here and now. He says, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. What things? You say, what things? He that doeth these things. All the things we just read about. If you're walking uprightly, you're living according to the word of God, you're not going to be moved. Spain was talking about the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour and that the devil likes to attack weak targets. Can I tell you this as lovingly as possible? When we walk in the power of Jesus Christ, the devil is no match for us. We draw nigh to God. We resist the devil. The Bible says he will flee from us. But when we stop drawing nigh to God, when we stop walking in his will and his word and his way, when we start living according to our own desires, our own dreams, our own thoughts and our own ways, then I got news for you. Open season. Open season. Verse 5 again. I love it. It says, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. Not now, in the tabernacle, that, that as we're pilgrims and strangers, you're not going to be moved now, and you're not going to be moved ever in that holy hill, that place of eternal permanence. Oh, that's good news. In John chapter 15 and other passages, the Bible declares that when you and I abide, we are blessed. When you and I abide in Jesus, we bear fruit. When you and I abide in Jesus, do you know what? The Bible says in John chapter 15 that when you and I abide in Jesus, our prayers are answered. You say, man, I'm not sure God's been hearing my prayers or answering my prayers. Are you abiding in Jesus? Are you abiding in his tabernacle? Are you dwelling in his holy hill? Because the Bible says your prayers will be answered. When we abide in Jesus, we can love one another the way that Jesus wants us to love one another. When we abide in Jesus, we can endure whatever comes our way. When we abide in Jesus, we will not be shaken by our circumstances or the uncertainty of 2022. Oh, my friends, like David wrote in Psalm 23 and verse number 6, for those who follow the good shepherd... Are you following him? Because for those who follow the good shepherd, David said, surely goodness and mercy. Who likes goodness? Can I take a poll here? We were putting out some data about attending church yesterday on Facebook. That was some strong data that was put out. Who likes goodness? A few of you. A few of you are so stubborn you won't even raise your hand in church. I'm not going to raise my hand. That would show that I agree or participate. No, what would show that you agree is by saying amen. Right? Uh, here's one. I think I'm going to get a better response. Who likes mercy? Oh, we love mercy. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for mercy. And then we're very quick to shut down the mercy well when it comes to our friends. We're quick to shut down the mercy gate when it comes to people we disagree with. David said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I, he says, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know about you, but that's good news. Oh, but where, where can we, by the way, I think about that. 
He says, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know what? We have these welcome mats when you come in the doors. They're real nice. They even say Battlefield Baptist Church on them. Spared no expense for you to wipe your muddy feet on. When I think about Psalm 23, put that back up again. When I think about Psalm 23, and David says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I, Because remember right before, the Lord had prepared a table before him in the presence of his enemies. He said, it don't matter. It's all good. Surely mercy and goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's as if David was saying, the welcome mat has been laid out. One day, one day, I'm going to step across that mat. Woo! I don't know that we're going to do it like this, but we're going to do it. I'll tell you what, you might do it like that. I'm going to do it in an all-out sprint. I'll be winning a record. They'll be like, this, this guy is fast. Because the moment I see Jesus... All the struggles, all the heartache, all the nasty, hurtful things that people have said, the things that people have done, the times when I didn't feel good and I had to rely on that sufficient grace of God, all the times of sadness, it'll all be over. There's going to be no more crying. No more pain. No more sickness. No more. I don't know about you guys. That gets me excited. Can I tell you? We talk about the desire, the display, and the duration of godliness. Where do we look to for the example? I can assure you it wasn't David. Yes, David didn't have the complete revelation of Jesus Christ yet he was looking to God Jehovah God the supreme God supreme in authority he didn't have the full revelation of scripture yet but you and I do we have an example who walks upright we have an example who works righteousness we have an example whose thoughts and words are always meeting the approval of the father we have someone whose ways are always fair and firmly fixed, and his name is Jesus. Amen? And so you say, Pastor, I don't know what this is all about. The beautiful thing, I'm about ready to tell you, the beautiful thing is that if you're not on that path, if you're not pursuing godliness, and you've nothing but heard about Jesus in the past, can I tell you that that is the very first step? You have to know him. You have to have a relationship with him before you can pursue Living according to his desires and not yours. The beautiful thing of Scripture, and I wrap up, Hebrews chapter 10 tells us and reminds us that Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, you remember earlier in the passage it's talking about that the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin forever because if they could, then why did they have to do them year after year after year after year? But when Jesus offered one sacrifice forever, notice what? It says he sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 14 said, for by one offering he perfected forever them that are sanctified. I don't know about you, but I like that verse. And the most beautiful verse follows just a few right after it. 
Because in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 19, we find the answer that every one of us need, which is having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Who can abide in thy tabernacle? Every one of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior. Who can dwell in the holy hill, that place of permanence? See, as we're passing through, we can abide in the tabernacle. And when I pass through and I get to the other side, I'm going to dwell in the holy hills of God forever and forever. Oh, we're saved by grace. Amen? Amen. We're saved by grace, but then that same grace that saved a wretch like me, that same grace that saved a wretch like me, must create a desire for godliness in our life, which then is displayed through the godly lifestyle that I am living, not because I'm great, but because Jesus is great and he gives me the strength and the wisdom and the ability and enables me to do it. It becomes displayed for all to see and then it results in an enduring place of permanence. Oh, my friends, if you're not saved today, I pray that you recognize your need I pray that today is the day that the Holy Spirit of God awakens you to recognize your need, to open up your heart, to repent. And, and by the way, don't get tripped up on this word repent. Repent says I'm walking this way and I realize, God, that you are a Savior and this is not the right way. And at the same time, I'm turning and I'm saying, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your ways. I will answer and I will obey. And Lord, I want you to be the Savior of my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to lead, guide, and direct me because I was making a mess of things when I was going this way. If you've never trusted Christ, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God awakens your heart to do that today. And if you're here, you say, well, Pastor, I'm saved. But you would be honest. See, because God and you know what's going on. I don't necessarily know what's going on, but you and God, he knows what's going on. You think you can run. You think you can hide. Ask Jonah how that works out. If you say, I'm saved, but you know honestly in your heart of hearts that God's desire has not become your desire, I pray that in this moment, I pray that in this moment that you would say, Lord, help me to pursue you. Help me to live the life that is described here in Scripture. Help me to put you first. Help me to trust you more and more. Lord, help that desire to be fulfilled through my life. Lord, I thank you for the relationship I have. Lord, now help me to take it to the next level, so to speak. I pray that that's your prayer. And you say, Pastor, what do I do about it? I'll be honest with you. What you need to do is seize the day. Carpe diem. Seize the day. Come before the throne of God's grace. Where we can find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. Now, here's the deal, guys. Do you know... When we renovated this sanctuary, some of you were here. It was closed off, and we had a set of three little steps here. I've taken a lot of heat for this, but we put steps here for you, not because I just desire a bunch of steps. We opened it because I believe the place 
the altar is a place of acknowledgement. And I wanted to give people plenty of room where they could come and they could acknowledge the greatness of God. A lot of people say, well, I, I don't believe in all that. That's, that's okay. That, that's your thing. That's your thing. But if you honestly know that today would be the right day to give him some praise, if you know that today would be the right day to come and recommit yourself to a life of pursuing godliness, if you know that today is the accepted time and the appointed time to come and to place your faith in the risen Savior of the world, then I invite you to come. The altar will be open as we begin to sing a song of invitation. Listen, living in the presence of Jehovah is a wonderful, wonderful thing, but we must desire it. And so I encourage you today, do business with the Lord. Lunch is right around the corner. Do business with the Lord while he is near. This is a time of invitation. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, help us all. Help us all not to be weak. Help us to be strong in your power and in your might. Lord, give us the gumption to come forward and to pray, to praise you, whatever the need is, whatever's going on in our lives, Lord. Help us to lay it before your throne, understanding that only you can do something with our mess. Lord, we give you the praise. Whether someone needs to be saved, whether someone needs to recommit themselves, or maybe someone just needs to come and give you glory. Lord, we give you the opportunity. We give you the glory. We give you the praise for what you will do right now through the Spirit of God in the hearts of your people. And we pray this and ask that you would do these things in the mighty, powerful, and precious name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.